over our joint Sunday nights, we've been uh, looking at the question of how will we face an uncertain and very, very challenging future? And how will we do it boldly? How will we do it without fear and without failing? We've already looked at a couple of things. We've looked at uh, 2 Chronicles chapter 16 where it tells us the eyes of the Lord run to and fro throughout the whole earth to give strong support to those whose hearts are blameless towards him. And so first of all, we know that God is on our side. Uh, God wants to strengthen us. God wants to encourage us. And God is looking to strengthen and encourage those who would serve him. And so if your heart's desire is to serve him and to live lives that bring glory and honor to him, God has said, I'm looking out for that to help you and to strengthen you. We also saw that the God we have is a God of love. God loves us. And so matter, no matter what faces us and what difficulties and hardships and troubles we face, God, who is in control of everything, loves us and will seek always to do the best for us. And that's a huge encouragement. We don't have the kind of God who is impersonal and far off. We have the kind of God who is near, the kind of God who loves us. He tells us that he loves us with the fatherly love, of which every father should be like. But he sets the example. And we are therefore his children. So God loves us. This tonight, I want to consider another thing that should be of great encouragement to us as we face an uncertain future. God does not leave us alone, but he sends us his spirit. No matter where you are, no matter what your situation is, if you're a Christian, you are never, ever alone. You are never without help. You are never without strength. That's the promise of God. Whatever comes, whatever difficulty comes that God knows will come, and sometimes will send our way, to encourage us and strengthen us. He also provides the resources to meet the need. There is no need that you will meet that he will not provide the resources for you to face. To face in a way that your life can bring him glory and honor. And so in the many challenges that we face, and while we feel ourselves personally and as churches to be terribly weak, not a bad thing. It's not a bad thing to feel weak. It's, it's not a bad thing to personally feel weak. If you tell me, I feel weak, good. Good. You're, you're in the right place. If you tell me that you feel strong, well, I'll say, well, where's your strength from? If you feel weak, then good. Look to the Lord. Let him be your strength. Let his victories be your victories. Let his power be your power. Let his wisdom be your wisdom. Whatever we face, the Spirit of God has been sent to help us face it. My first heading is a perfect provision. My first heading, the perfect provision. We're watching conflicts developing around the world. 
we hear news of natural disasters. And the question always arises, what are the resources to meet those needs? Uh, this, last, this last few weeks, uh, we see the, the need for military strength. This last few weeks, with a, a number of earthquakes taking place uh, that have kind of gone below the, the radar of the news, uh, and a number of disasters that have taken place in the world, again, the resources uh, are, are the question. What are, what are the resources that are needed to meet the need? And in the political world, we're looking at our politicians, and, and it's not very encouraging, is it? We're looking at our politicians, and we're thinking, what do they have? What resources do they have of wisdom and understanding and planning and the ability to, to um, negotiate and navigate a complex world? And, and we're looking and we're, we're praying, well, Lord, as we pray this evening, give our leaders the wisdom that they need the resources that they need. But then, here's the Christian. The question arises for citizens of Christ's kingdom. What resources do you have to face the challenges of your day? We have been set here for such a day as this. I, I, in many ways, I would, I would love to have lived in a different time. Uh, I, think, I think I'd like to have lived in the 19... Well, I did live in the 1970s. I'd like to have been older in the 1970s, I think, maybe. I wouldn't want to go too much earlier because you've got the Second and the First World War, and then before that you've got the Crimean and Boer Wars. I'm not too keen on, not too keen on dying in battle. Um, but I don't live then. I live today. And I have to wrestle with today's problems. You know, I, I look back with rose-colored glasses to the day when there were no mobile phones. I go, oh, those were happy days, weren't they? And, and, and there was no computers. Yeah, happy days. And there was only three channels, or sometimes two channels on the TV. But I don't live in those days anymore. I need God's resources for today. You need God's resources for today, for what we face today. Uh, Jesus tells his disciples in chapter 15 of John that he's going to send a helper and he's going to come from the Father, the Spirit of Truth, who comes from the Father. Jesus Christ is going to tell us that he also comes from Jesus Christ. He's also sent from Jesus Christ. But this is what their duties are that they need help with. Verse 27. You also will bear witness, because you have been with me from the beginning. The challenge that the Christians face, that we face, is... How do we bear witness to Jesus Christ today in our world? With all its complexities, with good complexities and bad complexities, with opportunities and antagonisms, because they're all there. We, we tend to look at the antagonisms rather than the opportunities, but with all of them there, as a Christian, how do I stand we're told here that there is a very real danger that you will fall. Verse six, chapter 16, verse 1. Jesus says, I'm pre-warning you, and I'm telling you things so that you will not fall away. He only says that because there is a danger that we will fall away, doesn't he? You know, if you say to someone, don't fall, that you obviously think that there's a danger that they're going to fall, don't you? 
So you'll, you'll see someone and you'll go, oh, avoid this spot, watch out. Or if you're on a path and it becomes uneven, you say, watch out, here's a path. Here, don't, don't fall because there's a danger that they'll fall. You don't warn people to fall on straight, flat paths, do you? Or in a lift. You warn people to fall when there's a danger they'll fall. So, so John is warning, Jesus is warning here in John's gospel, the Christians, that they may fall. There's a danger that, they, that as they seek to live their lives for God's glory, that they will fall, fall away. Now, now why will they fall away? And in what way will they fall away? In the area of bearing witness and of being evangelists and bearing witness, there will be a very real temptation to keep quiet. To not stand and not be faithful, but to keep quiet. And in that way, to fall away from what they were called to do. It's a very real temptation. We have all faced it, and we have all fallen, if we're Christians. We have known what it means uh, at times in our lives, and as we get older, more and more of them to our There were opportunities when we could have said something. But fear stopped us. Fear stopped us. There's a danger that will water down the message. And we'll fail to speak the whole gospel. We'll water down the message or we'll adjust it, sometimes depending on our character. Because some people... They adjust the message so they don't hurt anyone. But some people, they adjust the message to get a rise out of people. There's a terrible danger, isn't there? There's a terrible danger and we all face it. How do we speak the truth as God would want it spoken? How do I make sure that what I say is clear and true and fair and balanced? There's that danger. So there's a danger of not speaking. Then there's a danger of speaking, but not rightly speaking. There's, there's a danger of denying Christ and saying, well, you follow your religion and I'll follow mine. And so in a way you say, yes, this is what I believe, but you can believe what you want because you don't want to offend someone. Then there's a, a temptation to compromise. We know all Things. These, these things are all very, very much part of our lives and part of our experience. They were true of the disciples. And you see the disciples doing the same thing. Uh, you see the apostles not wanting to offend the Jews. Well, Paul had an opinion about that when he saw that happening in Antioch. He says, this is utterly wrong. This is utterly wrong. <coughs> We'd be foolish to think that that there is no real prospect of us falling away. Uh, and without the help of the Holy Spirit, we will fall away. So that's why he gives us his Holy Spirit. Jesus also prepares them for the future. He says, I'm going to, there's a great danger that, that you may fall away, but my first is to tell you about that and to warn you. Forewarned is forearmed. Jesus said, I have said these things to you so that you will not fall away. He's telling us things to encourage us, to build us up, so that we remind each other, so that we don't fall away. We all have short memories. 
we all have short memories. And we need to be reminded again and again and again of, of great truths. And so he says, I, I tell you these things. I'll tell you something of the challenges that you face, that you will face. And I'm telling you them now so that when they happen, you'll know. Jesus warned us about this. It wouldn't be a surprise to you. Remember at this point, the disciples have in their mind, if you read John, the disciples have in their mind that Jesus Christ, the Messiah, the King, is going to rise to power in Jerusalem. He's going to kick Herod out. This is why they're so confused by what happens in Jesus' life. It's clear that they think he's going to kick Herod out, that he's going to build a new kingdom based in Jerusalem. He's going to take over Herod's temple, uh, Herod's palace. He's going to reform the temple here on earth. Uh, and that's, that's what's in their minds. That's why they're so confused when he's arrested. That's why they're so downhearted when he dies. That's not their plan. That's not their plan. And even as he tells them, you, you get the, t the taste of it here. He says, I'm going to go away. And he says, now every time I tell you I'm going to go away, none of you wants to ask the question, where are you going? They don't even want to think of it. So when conflicts come, they're not ready. Except he's warned them. He's warned them. And we're a bit like that. We think that everything will be the same as it is now. And we've had a good 80 years here in this country. And we think that everything's going to be the same tomorrow as it is today. And we're going to be surprised, I think. But God tells us that even for the Church of Christ and through the ages, there are times of difficulty and trial. He says this, you're going to be put out of the synagogues. They're going to put you out of the synagogues. The places of worship. Well, the spiritual leaders in the synagogue are going to put you out. Or well, some of us will go, that's all right, I'll just go to the next one. Because that's what you do today. And that's not how it worked. When you were put out of the synagogue, you were shamed. When you were put out of the synagogue, you lost your, your standing in society. When you were put out of the synagogue, your family was shamed. When you were put out of the synagogue, you lost the support of the synagogue. And the synagogue would have supported you if you had become ill. They would have financially helped you. It was a place of, of care and, and, and uh, uh, care and, and provision for people who, who struggled. You would have lost all of those provisions. Uh, an example would be now today if you become a Christian from a Muslim background. That would be that kind of loss of status, loss of family connections. Uh, loss of provisions. He says that's going to happen. Furthermore, some of them will threaten you with death, but actually some of them will kill you. The Apostle Paul, that was his mission. He was setting out to kill Christians when Jesus met with him. He was fulfilling what Christ spoke about here. You will also be confronted by spiritual blindness. They will do these things, thinking they are offering a service to God. Again, Paul. Or Saul. That was his thinking. He thought that he was serving God by persecuting the church. So, so blind were they to truth that they would quite happily kill, thinking they're doing God a service. 
surely, if you open your eyes, you see that that attitude is very, very present and very, very real and even being spoken on our streets. To kill someone in service of God, he said, well, that's, that'll happen to you. Uh, they'll think it's right to do wrong and they'll think it's wrong to do right. And then there'll be periods of this. When their time has come, or when their hour comes, verse 4, I've told you this, so that when their hour comes, so there's going to be a period of intense persecution. And what we see in history is that. We see intense periods of persecution, and then calm, and then intense periods of persecution. Uh, and, and that seems to be the history of, of the world and the history of the church. The history of the church in Britain, look at the history of the church in Wales, you'll see that there were periods of calm, and we've gone through one of those, but there were also periods of real persecution, political persecution, but military persecution. He says there's going to be periods of persecution. Uh, don't think because it dies off, it's stopped. No, there, there are periods of persecution. Then there will also be confusion in your own mind. And this is where he says, let not your hearts, uh, your sorrow has filled your heart. You don't understand what I'm doing. He says that to the apostles, but I think he often says that to us. You, you, you know the things you expected God to do. When you became a Christian, you had expectations of what God would do in your life. When you, when you came to a church or when you took on church leadership, you had expectations of what God would do in the church or in your life. Uh, when you went on the mission field, you had expectations of what God would do. There were expectations, and you still have them, expectations of what God will do. Sometimes he does, and sometimes he doesn't. What do you do with the times he doesn't do what you expect? I, I went to college with uh, a young man, and... Uh, he did his year, he did his degree at Pete Morgan, and he, w he came back to Wales. He was going to go to Peru as a missionary. Very capable young man, very, very, very capable young man. Good rugby player as well, but that's an aside. And a climber, he loved climbing, he loved climbing. And uh, he came down to Wales for his graduation service, and they went, I think it was Simmons Yacht, uh, climbing on Simmons Yacht. And his harness broke and he died. Oh, how do you explain that? You know, that that's, that's not what we expected God to do. That's not what we expected God to do. There'll be times when God will do things and you'll, you'll be at a loss. Why has he done that? Remember, he loves you. You go back. Remember, he loves you. Remember, he's doing the best for you and for his glory. His love is not greater than your love, and his wisdom is not greater than your wisdom. So there are things that are going to happen in your life that, that will, you'll struggle with. Why didn't God do what I expected them to do? And then for the disciples, and, and even for us now, then there's Jesus Christ himself, a man of sorrow, killed as a criminal 
not a very glorious saver, is it? How do we work with that? How do we wrestle that? How do we think those things through? How do we describe the deep glory that was happening against the background of surface shame? If you meet a Muslim, he will tell you that Christ died a shameful death as a shameful person. Uh, the people who were under his, under his cross, the uh, religious leaders said, well, where's God saving you now? Yeah? Why hasn't he saved you yet? How do we deal with those things? There is for us, as with the disciples, all kinds of challenges that we have to face. But Jesus says, it's to my advantage I go away and I will send a helper who is perfect for your needs. That's the point. He is perfect for your needs. And as you face all these challenges, like the original apostles, we face the same challenges. There is one who is sent who is perfect. My second point, the powerful witness the powerful witness. With the departure of Jesus Christ, first to the apostles and then all Christians, we were called to bear witness. We we're called to bear witness to Jesus Christ amongst those whom we live, uh, those who we speak to, those who we work. And uh, the question is, what strength do we have? The apostles were told, and the Christians afterwards, you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem in all Judea, in Samaria, and to the ends of the earth, including Clidach, which really would have been the ends of the earth, wouldn't it? You know, in Jesus' day, a little town in Wales really was the ends of the earth. We're there. That's us. That's us. Witnesses there at the ends of the earth. And as we consider the Holy Spirit's work, we must remember he works in and through believers. Jesus did not say, I'm going to send my Holy Spirit to take your place. Though that would have been nice, wouldn't it? That would have been nice. He doesn't say that. I, I think, I, I've thought about it a few times. When I became a Christian, when I became a Christian, wouldn't it have been nice at that moment to have died? No, because I'm going to heaven, aren't I? Yeah, I'm going to heaven. And so, but God left me here. God left me here to grow up. God left me here to struggle through life. God left me here to, to get older, you know, and some of you to get old. God, God left me here. Why did God leave me here? Because he wanted to use me, like he wants to use you. Because he wanted to use us to speak about him, to be his representatives here on earth, to be his mouthpiece and his ear, and to be his arms. Whatever you did in my name, whatever you do in my name. God wants us to be witnesses in this world. 
he wants us to speak his word. He wants us to follow his commands. He wants us to love who he loves in the way that he loves them. He wants us to be his body here on earth. Jesus Christ has gone. Jesus said, it's better that I go and I'll send you the Holy Spirit. Wouldn't it have been nice if he had left Jesus on earth? But he didn't. He's left us here on earth. He's left us to be his witnesses. Imperfect though we are, we are to be his witnesses. To tell other people about Jesus Christ. To tell of his saving faithfulness. To tell of his love and his mercy. To tell of his judgment. To tell of his grace. He left us here. You may be wondering why you're still here. Because you still have something to do. He still has work for you to do. Right up to the very end, he still has work for you to do. Till your dying breath, he still has work for you to do. He still has love for you to show and care for you to express. As long as you live on this earth, you represent Jesus Christ. What a remarkable thing. What a remarkable thing that God has given us to do. What a privilege, you know? What an honor to represent him, to show his goodness, to speak of his grace, to love as he loved, but also to hate as he hated, to despise sin and love the sinner, to pray to praise, to worship. God has left us here on earth to do those things. He did not take us to heaven straight away. He could have done. But he said, I want you to stay. The Holy Spirit, when he comes, he will strengthen us. But he will do something more the Holy Spirit, we're told here, the powerful witness, will convict the world concerning sin, righteousness, and judgment. Now, I mentioned my previous point so that when I come to this point, you understand what I mean. Concerning the Holy Spirit, what does he do? The Holy Spirit says, in regard to sin... Because this world does not believe. He says, look at the Christian. Look at the Christian. Look at those who live the life that Christ wants them to live. You know by your life, the Holy Spirit convicts of sin. By your words, the Holy Spirit convicts of sin. Some of us have had the the experience of going into a workplace where the language has been vile. But we never really heard it. Because people knew we were Christians and kept quiet. Only later someone would say to us, well, that was my experience, someone said, do you know he, he swears terrible when you're not there? That's strange. Why is that? 
Why is that? Because the Spirit convicts the world of sin. By the way Christians live, by the way you act, by the way you live, by, by the way you behave, the things you say, you convict the world of sin. That's what the Holy Spirit does. It says, look at this Christian. This is how you should be living. That's a pressure, isn't it? Is your life something that the Spirit of God can use? Do not grieve the Spirit with whom you are sealed, we're told. And then concerning righteousness, Jesus says, I go to the Father and you will see me no more. Here's, a, here's again the unbeliever and he, he, he tries to earn his own salvation. Or she tries to earn her own salvation. And you meet them, they're all around you. They're, 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 they're trying to save themselves. Actually, they even many of them even use the word, words righteousness. I want to be a righteous person. And they're trying to earn their salvation. They're trying to gain their salvation. They're, they're at times trying to pay penance. Maybe they're religious, maybe they're not. But as you meet people, this is what you'll see. When you speak to them, you'll say, they'll say, I'm not a bad person. I do my best. I try hard. I, I give to the poor. What are they doing? Trying to earn their salvation. The Holy Spirit points to the Christian and says, you can. You're saved by grace. And that is a gift from God. So nobody can boast. Your testimony. When someone says, you live a wonderful life, what's your testimony? Only because of what God has done in me? Only because of what God has done in me? If God had left me alone, I'd be worse than you? Is that not your testimony? That's the testimony that the Spirit uses. I'm not what I was. Not because I have any strength in me, but because of what Christ did in me. And what he did in me, he can do in you. That's what the Holy Spirit does. He takes those testimonies. When you speak and when you act, do you give praise to God for the change he's made in your life? Do you give praise to God for the way he upholds you and sustains you? It's not I, but Christ in me. There's a lovely song. We've sung it a number of times. I think there's a new version that's come out recently. Not I, but Christ in me. That's what a Christian says. And the Holy Spirit takes that and he convicts people. You cannot save yourself. And then the Holy Spirit concerning judgment because the ruler of this world is judged he is a christian in contrast to the believer living a life free of satan's power free of fear of death we have been freed from the power of satan we've been freed from his controlling we've been freed from his ideas we've been freed from his thoughts We've been freed from his attitudes, his words. We've been freed from his final destination. 
concerning judgment, the ruler of this world is judged. And the Holy Spirit points to the Christian and says, see how they're free. See how they're free. See how they've broken free from his control, from his thoughts, from his ideas. Christian witness is very important, isn't it? How powerful it is. A Christian used by the Spirit of God is how God saves people. Some will reject the witness of the Holy Spirit and reject the Christian likewise. And do not be surprised at that. Their hearts are hardened. They are blind. God needs to open their hearts. He needs to unstop their ears. He needs to open their eyes and let them see. See, there will be many people, and as you live your Christian life, they will not see it. They will not get it. They'll know there's something different about you. Their consciences may well be pricked but it will not result from what you can see in a transformation in their lives. But who knows? Then there are others, and they will see, and they will believe, and they will be changed, and they will hear your words as you point to Jesus Christ, and they will see your life to Jesus Christ, and they will say, I want to follow him. I want to follow him. we as witnesses in this world can the spirit of God use us thirdly lastly plentiful provider this is shorter let me assure you how then if the Holy Spirit is going to use me and use my life to speak about Jesus Christ how can my life be of use to Christ well Jesus tells us when the Holy Spirit of truth comes he will guide you into all truth. The Holy Spirit will come to you, the believer. He will indwell you. And he will guide you into all truth. And he will open your eyes. And you to understand. Interestingly, it doesn't say he will reveal all truth to you in a moment. That would have been interesting, wouldn't it? I think that would have been quite nice. I think I could quite like to... Seeing as God isn't going to take me to heaven immediately, I'm saved. Maybe when I'm saved, he could give me what I need. That would have been good. What we need as we need it. What we need to be saved, he provides us so that we may be saved. What we need to be disciples, he provides us so that we may be disciples. What we need, he provides us so that we may continue. Now, how does he do this? He will speak of me and, and he will take my words and give them to you. In other words, when the Holy Spirit is at work in your life, one of the great works he does is he unfolds the work of Jesus Christ to you. And you kind of know it. Because even as someone who's been a Christian for many, many years, you know, decades even, and even as someone who's opened the Bible and studied the Bible for many, many years, I, I not unregularly open the Bible and study and think, I've never seen that before. 
I've never seen it like that. I've never seen that aspect with that power. When I think of Jesus Christ, I'm constantly surprised by him. I'm constantly surprised that the words he says and how he acts. I, you'd think after, I don't know, more years than I cared to mention being a Christian, let's, let's say 30 no, maybe nearer to 40 years of being a Christian. Let's say nearer to 40 years of being a Christian. He still surprises me. I still open the Bible and Christ still surprises me. It still amazes me what Christ did. The depths of what Christ did, the way he did it, the love he showed, the way he showed love, the way he shows me love. It's like he's unfolding. It's like the truth is being unfolded before me. I thought, when I began preaching, quite a few years ago now, I thought I'd run out of things to say. Well, 30 years later, I've not run out of things to say. I new things to say. I keep finding wonderful things to say about Jesus, about the Savior, about how he lived, about how he acted, about how he showed me grace, how he showed me mercy. I... I, I I saw new things about what Jesus does for young men when I was a young man. I saw new things about what Jesus did for married men when I was um, um, newly married. I, I saw what Jesus did for fathers. Now I became a father. I, I, I'm seeing what God is doing for someone rattling through middle age. Isn't that amazing? In every part of life, Something of God's mercy and grandeur and beauty comes to me with a power and a freshness to meet my needs. Meet my needs. That's the work of the Holy Spirit. He does many other things as well. He upholds you, He strengthens you when you don't know how to pray, He aids you in prayer, He guides you. He does many, many other things as well. He, he fortifies your heart when you feel weak. Yes, he does many other things. But here Jesus says, the main thing he does is speaks about me. And about my father. How will I face a very confusing, uncertain world? How will I keep my mind with the right thoughts, and my soul with the right desires, and my life with the right actions, how will I do that? Well, not in my own strength. That's the point. That's the point is making. You don't need to do it in your own strength. You cannot do it in your own strength. You must not do it in your own strength. God has provided us a helper. Are we trusting in him? our Savior, and the helper that the Father and the Son have given us? Are we walking in step with him? Do we love what he loves? Care for what he cares for? Do we speak what he would want us to speak? Are we living the lives he would want us to live? It doesn't matter what powers you have. You use what powers you have, whatever they are, to his glory. We are not alone. What a wonderful thought. Tomorrow.
alone. And you're not without the resources to face the day.